Welcome to New in Nashville. This is your host, Elam Freeman. I'm a commercial real estate broker and yoga instructor based in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am a Nashville native who has spent time living in Los Angeles and Washington, D.C. I have also traveled to all 50 states and visited nearly every U.S. metropolitan city bigger than Nashville. I am crazy about Nashville's growth and want natives, newcomers, and tourists to have the knowledge they need to keep up with our city's pace. In this week's episode, I sat down with Adam Williams during his trip to Nashville. Adam is a commercial real estate broker based in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was initially drawn to connect with Adam after listening to his Retail Redevelop podcast that he uses to creatively approach his business. Adam represents restaurant clients such as Barteca, Be Good, and Del Frisco's, and landlords such as Cousins and Spectrum Properties. Adam and I share a passion for staying up on new restaurant and retail concepts, as well as trying to stay ahead of the curve in innovative approaches to the commercial real estate business. In our conversation, we compare and contrast Charlotte and Nashville and share some technology platforms we use as tools in our business. Welcome to the Retail Redeveloped podcast with Adam Williams. I'm joined by a very special guest today, one Elam Freeman from the New in Nashville podcast. I'm actually sitting here in a co-working space in East Nashville, and uh, we're going to give this a shot and see how it goes today and, and do a little dual podcast. Elam, thank you so much for uh, being here and joining and having me to your uh, to your office. Yeah, of course. I'm glad you could make time for it while you're in on your trip to Nashville and excited to get caught up on what's going on in Charlotte, what the trends are, and uh, talk about some synergies between our two cities and some uh, nationwide trends as well. So let's start first with... Uh, just Nashville, why is it exploding? Why is it kind of the, the darling of the Southeast? Obviously, you have a, a few cities that are all uh, considered you know, top tier, even though they might be secondary or tertiary cities um, in the grand scheme of things. When you look at Manhattan, Chicago, uh, other areas like that, they're still considered you know, extreme up and coming. They're on every single like best of quality of living, fastest growing, you name it kind of cities. What is it about Nashville uh, that, that has put that on the map? Yeah. So I would say that there's several things that um, make Nashville stand out amongst some other Southeastern cities. Um, and it's not necessarily the demographics at this point. We are growing really quickly, but with the entertainment industry, you have a lot of synergies between LA and New York that you wouldn't otherwise have. Um, so a lot of different entertainment businesses have offices in um, two or three of those three cities. Um, I also think the show Nashville really put it on people's radar around the country and it kind of um, glorified the city The downside I see for that in real estate is that a lot of people kind of have the perception that it is bigger and will drive higher sales than it will. And so they come here and they do the whole tour and spend a lot of their time and broker's time looking at sites. And then um, kind of before signing the lease, they'll 
dive into the numbers and they'll get some comps and they're kind of uh, surprised to what they see. And um, they're surprised that it doesn't match some of the larger cities where the population is so much higher. So I would say that's uh, one challenge, but definitely growing and um, continuing to draw national attention. So one thing that I say, so I'm a Charlotte Homer. Uh, anybody that listens to this knows that. Uh, but one thing that I've always said is Nashville and Charlotte are very, very similar cities. If you look at their MSA and, and you just analyze it, it's very similar. But uh, to your point, Nashville got all the rock stars and Charlotte got all the bankers. Uh, so uh, you guys have a little bit more kind of a edge, uh, cool factor that Charlotte, I think you could argue, is missing. Um, I love the banks. I love the bankers. I love the wealth uh, that it that, that kind of springs from that, but you guys do have a little bit of, of an edge when it comes to cool factor. So what, what are some of the hot trends you see in Nashville right now? What has, what has you excited? What has kind of the market and other brokers and developers excited in the market right now? Yeah, I would say um, co-working is just blowing up here and you see some of the traditional more office focused co-working, but you also see um, some places like Bond Collective, which just signed a lease um, in East Nashville's Cleveland Park neighborhood, which is definitely a quickly changing and pioneering neighborhood. But um, I think some of the more creative ones are looking here, like um, Beauty Shop and Neuhaus are interested because of that creative culture. Um, you also have some different food and beverage users looking, but I think Really, we have a lot of elevated Southern food, and that's where we see saturation. Um, so I would like to see some more um, some more fast casual, some just various concepts that people that are kind of not just reinventing the wheel, but that are actually bringing something new to Nashville. Yeah, I noticed that when I was driving around. It reminded me of Charleston in that way. It's a lot of that kind of southern uh, i don't want to say low country but a lot of that elevated southern cuisine and i think that when you have such tourist driven markets mm -hmm. uh, like charleston and nashville i mean you have people coming from all over and i guess they're expecting that so uh, that probably makes a lot of sense well why a lot of people are trying that um so what what areas of nashville would you consider the hottest or most important you know people like me are coming in they want to they want to get bite-sized parts of the market and really hit it hard for a couple of days and, and then leave? Like what are the areas that, that are, this should be on everybody's radar? Um, I would say Germantown and East Nashville for sure. And if you are, have read any tourist blogs, I assume that you'll probably end up seeing Broadway, Midtown and 12th South. So I won't dive into those as much because I think they're a little bit more obvious, but there's some really, um, nice hidden gems in both Germantown and East Nashville and the food and beverage scene is unparalleled in both of those places. Um, and they're both walkable and, um, you can really kind of experience, I think the local culture by going to those places, but still have, um, you know, lots to do. What is the area, uh, called the nations? I keep hearing about that now. Yeah. So the nations is interesting. I think, um, it's pretty young demographic, like first homeowners sort of deal. There's a lot of new construction, new homes going up over there. In terms of actually going over there to um, eat and drink, I don't think they're personally, and I mean, this is just my opinion, but 
I don't think there's anything that really stands out or draws me there. So I'll go over there um, for coffee meetings sometimes. I have some friends that live in the area, and there's one co-working space over there. Um, so I will go over there for that. But in terms of actually going out, there doesn't really seem to be any sort of vibrant nightlife. That being said, the first uh, Nashville's first food truck park did just start over there. I think it's still kind of getting off the ground, but I was excited to see that because that's something that um, I've experienced a lot in Austin and Portland and a few other cities that I've traveled to and have really been hoping to see in Nashville for a while. So any trends you see in restaurants that you love or hate? We touched on the Southern, uh, kind of the saturation of the Southern cuisine. Anything else that you're seeing that you're either a huge fan of or, or you could just do without? Um, you know, I mean, I think the Southern thing, the Southern and then just there's a ton of beer centric uh, in terms of bars. It's all beer centric and kind of sports bar-ish and uh, sort of divey. And I maybe I travel too much. That makes me a little bit of uh, too critical of Nashville, but I would love to see some more fast casual, some healthier options um, some more wine-driven concepts when it comes to bars and just something that's a little um, someone kind of stepping outside the box and starting something new um, that's a proven operator. So I'm always loving seeing new concepts come to Nashville that are uh, bringing something new, but they also know how to execute and to partner with the local. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the beer centric in Charlotte, that beer is I mean, it's massive right now. Uh, new breweries opening up every month. Um, it's it's driving the the certainly the alcohol market, and you know you wonder where that tipping point is and when people are gonna you know make the flight to wine driven, cocktail driven. You're already starting to see the cocktail drive going, um, but the brewery scene in Charlotte has completely changed the game as far as bars go almost to the point where it's, I feel like it's changing habits. Like people seem to be going out, especially on weekends, um, in the middle of the afternoon, hitting all the breweries and then, um, you know, changing their habits as it, as it, as it pertains to just your general kind of going out. Right. Um, so it really interesting to see how that, um, how that trend is going to, going to shake out. Um, any big mistakes you see in the market? You mentioned how uh, people are maybe overestimating comps a little bit. Uh, anything else that you're seeing uh, that, that restaurants are making or, or the real estate community is making in retail? Yeah, I think some people are getting too focused on having an Instagrammable restaurant, but they are without focusing on the quality of the food. And I think both are really important. I mean, build out and design is everything. And you look at and listen to the founders of Sweetgreen talk and even in just a fast casual where people are getting grab and go lunch, maybe even getting it on Uber Eats, like their design and their restaurants is so important. So I'm not trying to underestimate that, but you can't forego quality. Um, and so I think finding a better balance there. Um, and I know Caviar Bananas, which is um, out of the Carolinas, just closed down here. Um, and and they were only in for a year, and that's it's a beautiful store. Uh, yeah. It's a shame. I didn't know that they closed here. Uh, the one in Greenville is gorgeous. Uh, I hope they figure that out. I'd love to see them open in Charlotte, uh, selfishly because I think it's a great concept. Yeah. So um, that would be that would probably be the biggest mistake. And then if you're an outside 
group, I think just really doing your homework before just thinking, you know, you're, you may be the latest and greatest in your city, but when you translate that to another market, you really have to take time to get to know your competition and get to know what the locals are demanding. Very cool. Uh, something else that we're seeing in you know, the markets that I really work in, a lot of the southeastern markets, is boutique fitness. Uh, it is massive uh, to the point where um, you know it's one of the other things like restaurants that seem to be Amazon-proof uh, or Amazon-resistant, I guess, at this point, that uh, landlords really like. And they're not your old-school, typical gym that would absolutely crush your parking you know, six or seven times during the day, they're, they're a lot more, uh, you know, small focused, uh, boutique concepts. Is that something that's exploding in Nashville also? Absolutely. Um, it's, I'm actually a yoga instructor as well. So I'm very tied into that community here and it's been really fun. I think it's kind of similar to why people like the creative community here because it is a very supportive, non-cutthroat, um, environment when it comes to just, instructors and that sort of thing that being said you know the real estate and the how quickly they're opening does scare me a little bit sometimes when I just see how many yoga studios within like a two mile radius of um, a few particular areas it's you know I, I want them all to survive but it's just I just saw one gym that I um, taught out last year just shut down and so I think you will start to see that and then some of the bigger players come and have these marketing dollars um, like Core Power Yoga just opened in Brentwood, their first location in Tennessee. They're opening in Green Hills in a few months, and it's just hard to compete. Um, and a lot of my friends are owners of these studios, so it's you know I I really do want to see them succeed. But once again, I think it's just looking at the competition and really trying to have your ear to the ground on who else is circulating because it may not be announced yet, but you could have someone else looking in the same neighborhood you're looking at, and you open you know within a few months of each other. So, but I would like to see a little bit of uh, diversification here in terms of some of the concepts we're seeing. So, I mean, we all know uh, spin is really big nationally, and we have we don't have Soul Cycle or Flywheel yet. Um, I I'd think, be surprised if you're going to see them. Yeah, um, you talk about it. I'm glad you brought that up. That's actually something I wanted to mention. I, I think that Peloton has been a massive mm-hmm. disruptor in that space, uh, and I wonder. You know, what is the next thing that we don't see coming that's going to disrupt that that boutique fitness space? Because uh, I was with a, a group that is involved in the fund that owns Peloton, and the sales that they're seeing out of that is massive. It's so scalable um, that I think that there are definitely some people working on, on the next version of that right now. So I'd be I'm very curious to see how that disrupts. Um, that business. Yeah. Well, and we're in a day and age too, where you have all these apartment buildings coming up, um, that have these very, very nice Peloton bikes. They have all the amenities you could want when it comes to a gym. And it's like, why do people need to leave? And then they have on-site instructors coming in teaching yoga classes and spin classes. So also I think what is that doing to gyms? And a lot of those apartment complexes have retail, space in the bottom, which really, um, and, and they're sometimes saying we want a gym, but it's like, you have a gym for your residents. Who's going to come to this? Cause you're built in population, like a restaurant, like if you had a restaurant in the bottom, then you're built in population 
would be there, but for a gem, I, don't, I just don't know. So I will admit, um, I was always a solo workout guy uh, forever, um, and then randomly, I, I needed a I needed a, a jump start for fitness before I had a ski trip, and I tried a concept out of Charlotte called Metabolic. And now I'm a total group fitness junkie. So I would be the guy that walks past the free gym and goes to the, um, you know, the, the boutique fitness just because it, it really, it changed the way I, I worked out. I'm, I'm very impressed with the, with how they do things. So metabolic shout out. Um, they, they kick my ass when I'm in there, but, but I, I enjoy it. So, yeah. Um, great. so talk to me a little bit about, you know, technology in real estate. Um, obviously, we met at a conference, the ICSE Food for Thought conference, that uh, if you're in the restaurant side of the real estate business, you should 1,000% put on your calendar for next year. Uh, it was my first year, and I, I will go back. I thought it was very intimate and interesting, and the speakers were great. Um, so we both you know, seem to enjoy the technology side of real estate. I mean, what are you using or what are you seeing other people use that, that you think other people could benefit from? Yeah. Um, so I've always been a big LinkedIn fan. Um, I've been later to the game, honestly, on some of the other social media social media platforms, probably until it was the only millennial not on Instagram until I got on this year, really, just for the podcast. And, I mean, it's been fun, and it's honestly, um, I think, an underrated tool as well. But with LinkedIn – just a great way to connect with people and find contacts that I couldn't otherwise find. So I use that just connecting and prospecting um, in my business. And then, and I think it's worth, I have the sales navigator account. I definitely think that one is worth, worth the, the money. Um, I haven't done that yet. Um, yeah. Kate from my team is on me to do that. I need to, I need to look into that a little bit more. Are, are you guys in uh, CoStar or, or any of the other yeah, CoStar, you know, we have CoStar, Retail Lease Track. Um, we have a CCIM in our office, so he's encouraging me to kind of get on his account and start looking through there. Apparently, they have a lot of good data to... Now, what is Retail Lease Track? Tell, it, tell the uh, audience what that is. So, Retail Lease Track is a platform where you can look up any retailer and it will give you contacts for them. Um, it seemed to be... I just started using it a few months ago, and... It uh, seems to be kind of hit or miss. It's, you know, a lot of, if it's a big box or something, a concept that's been around for, you know, 20 plus years, they're going to be on there. But a lot of these newer emerging concepts really haven't caught up. But it will usually give you the name of a broker and what markets they cover. And then sometimes one of the internal real estate people for that company. Yeah, we use Plain Vanilla Shell, which I think okay. is very, very similar. Yeah. Um, and then other, I mean, my biggest technology driver I think is Google Maps like it has just been something that I love that helps keep me and my clients organized um, there's a lot of different functions you can do there's so many different layers I yeah about every time I use it. yeah so definitely and I want to get to know uh, to learn more about Google Fusion tables and um, have been looking into taking some trainings on that. All right. Well, after you do that, you're gonna have to train me because <laughs> I don't know what a Google Fusion table is. Um, I'm showing I'm showing my age here, unfortunately. Um, so, all right. I, I've been dominating the conversation so far. I'd love to hear. Um, you know what What do you think your people would want to know? How can I How can I help with um, bringing kind of an outside of the market perspective to what you guys are doing. Yeah, well, I'd love to hear just some of your answers um, to the questions you asked 
about Nashville for Charlotte. So kind of what you see as getting saturated there and where you see opportunity in Charlotte just from a concept perspective, whether it's in food and beverage, fitness, or any other retail. I think Charlotte is a massive opportunity for um, kind of cool, hip, out-of-town chefs as well as homegrown talent. Uh, but Charlotte is in a really interesting place right now. Uh, we have an area called South End, which would be similar to maybe like West Midtown in Atlanta-ish, um, but it's right outside of Uptown Charlotte, which is what you know we call our downtown Uptown. You'll get used to it if you, if you get there. Um, it's right outside of, of Uptown Charlotte, massive office density uh, under construction and um, in planning already, massive uh, amounts of uh, retail and restaurants going in. And I like to say it's kind of like the Death Star, just like sucking the gravity out of the rest of um, the rest of Charlotte. It's it's a good thing and a bad thing. It's, it's hard to get deals done in other parts of the city right now because everybody's focused on South End, and South End is still young and evolving, and there's not a tremendous amount of different types of space. Um, so a lot of really cool brick and beam type buildings there, uh, and then you're getting the new high-rise buildings that are coming in. There's a company called Dimensional Fund Advisors out of Austin that's moving their headquarters there. Um, Beacon Development is doing a massive 300 plus thousand square foot space there. Uh, Spectrum is about to announce a massive, uh, probably 400,000 square foot complex there. There's rumors of of other very large corporations that are already um, already spoken for a lot of space there. And when we were talking earlier before we started recording, we were talking about Germantown and um, phenomenal area of Nashville, but not a huge amount of daytime population. I would say South End, as it sits currently, is kind of that same area. Like you, you go there from out of state and you're like, oh my God, this is, like you can see it. Like there's tons of energy, tons of young people, tons of density, great access to very high-end neighborhoods as well. But there's no people there during the day, or not a ton of people there during the day. And these big office projects that I mentioned are changing that literally as we speak. I mean, there are cranes in the air building uh, massive developments there. So I think South End is probably the most important neighborhood in between Atlanta and D.C. Uh, Raleigh has some amazing areas um, under development. Greenville has some amazing areas in development. But South End really kind of has it all. Um, and is feels organic and homegrown and things like that. So obviously there's a huge opportunity in Charlotte. Um, there are some really interesting chefs that are doing some urban concepts right now. Like a new restaurant called The Stanley just opened to really good reviews. Bruce Moffat, who's considered one of the top dogs in Charlotte, just announced an urban restaurant that he's doing. The fast casual market's exploding right now. Uh, we're about to announce uh, a chopped deal in uptown Charlotte. Uh, that everybody's going to be really excited about. Hopefully this won't air until we're allowed to talk about it. Um, And some other deals like that that people are are going to be really excited about. Cool. So is the actual area of Southland, would you say it's bigger than Germantown? Because in Germantown, it's just like, where do those offices go and where would the people park? Well, so Southland has a massive advantage uh, because it has the light rail that runs our mass transit is called the light rail. Um, they just opened the second leg of it. 
that will connect uh, the UNCC uh, University of North Carolina at Charlotte campus with Uptown and then one of our sub suburbs called Pineville that's a little bit more of a kind of a sleepier, better community. Um, so that, I mean, mass transit in Charlotte was kind of a tax basis tool. Like it, it took this area and absolutely transformed it. The city came in and gave developers the right to do a Todd zoning, which is a transit oriented development. So it just exploded the amount of density that you could that you could put into the area. So unless Germantown is gonna somehow manufacture something like that, I mean, I was walking around it last night, you've got a lot of natural barriers with highways and, and uh, old mills and, and large buildings, old manufacturing buildings, things like that, that I think will give the opportunity for other large scale developments, but not that one like, city county backed right. development tool that, that was the light rail. So I think South End is bigger, it stretches longer. Uh, the unfortunate part, which I also noticed in Germantown, it's not tremendously walkable. Mm -hmm. There's not a, a true city grid and you have South Boulevard that is a natural kind of vehicular, um, high traffic, high speed area that kind of uh, cuts off South End a little bit. But I think it's bigger. I think Germantown is phenomenal. I love walking through it, but South End is it's kind of the, the perfect recipe for for uh, development. Um, and you, you have people that are upset about that because um, definitely gentrification happening there, uh, a big change in kind of personality to the neighborhood. Um, so there are some people that aren't thrilled about it. But me as a retail restaurant capitalist, you know. <laughs> real estate guy. I'm a, I'm yeah. a big fan. So. Yeah, no, that sounds uh, like an exciting neighborhood. And even from Nashville, I hear about different developments going on in South End that are really going to change the way um, things are going in that neighborhood. Um, one thing you mentioned, too, is that you have homegrown and restaurant chores, and then you have other people coming in from outside the market. And I've kind of been contemplating this question in Nashville recently, but I was talking to a broker for a concept that currently has, it's kind of an entertainment type, you know, food and beverage and entertainment uh, mixed together. And they have locations in Portland and Denver. And she was asking me if Nashville was like Austin, where it was hard to break in as an outsider. And it was at that point, I had a hard time saying, cause I hadn't been to Austin in a while, but I was actually going to Austin the next week. And so since then, I've kind of been evaluating, is it harder to break in as an outsider in Austin or Nashville? Um, and I think that in Nashville, if you are very intentional about kind of like I said earlier, knowing your competition and partnering with locals, that you'll be fine as long as you're a good concept and bringing something new and interesting to the market. But I'd be curious to know what you um, think about that in Charlotte. So I think that local bias is very real in markets like this uh, because there's a big sense of identity that, that the way people spend, they like to identify with, with the products that they're, that they're buying. This is not news. I didn't make this up. It's, it's just the way the, the way the trends are going. So I think that local bias is real. Um, I think that in Nashville, I would, I would definitely ask that question. I think in Charleston, I would definitely ask that question. I think in Asheville, I would most certainly ask that question because there is this 
kind of protective mother hen mentality of like, I want, I want uh, my money to be spent locally. I think that's part of the reason that the brewery culture is so massive because everybody is shifting from your macros to your local micros. Um, I think Charlotte, we're an aspirational city. Like we have this chip on our shoulder about, you know, wanting to be in the conversation with Manhattan. We've always been kind of a, not always, but recent history, the second or third biggest financial district behind Manhattan. So there's always this kind of aspirational, we want to be like, we're the little brother, we want to be the big brother kind of thing. So I think that we're pretty accepting of outsiders. The best local example that I would point to would be Super Rico, which is an Atlanta-based concept by Fort Fry. Just opened in, it's just absolutely crushing it. Oku out of Charleston, Steve Palmer restaurant, same thing. Uh, both of these opened in South End. Um, and are both doing massive numbers. So I would say that I would be less worried about it in Charlotte than I would be in any of the other cities that I've mentioned, including Nashville. Um, and Nashville has such a broad array of choices already that um, I, I would be a little bit more nervous. But I think Charlotte's pretty accepting to outsiders. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned those Charlotte's two. a melting pot. I mean, right. It's massive. Nobody's from Charlotte except yours truly. But right. I'm, I'm the exception <laughs> to the rule. Um, it's funny you actually bring up those two restaurants because they're, for those of you in Nashville, they're opening up, Oku and Superica are opening up in Nashville later this year. So, Superica, cool concepts, check them out. Yeah, yeah, we'll be in the Gulch um, across from Barista Parlor, and then Oku is going to be in Germantown um, in a new development where Ford Fry is opening three other restaurants. So, he's Which really invested. I believe, uh, I think Optimus. Optimus is amazing. If you're you're lucky to get Optimus if it comes here, that is a phenomenal restaurant. Yeah, it's three three opening right all together. So I think one of them may be kind of like a new concept specifically for Nashville. So, um, and would you say that New York is kind of the made the large city that is where Charlotte's getting the most influx from, just because of that banking culture? Do you see other cities that? It's, uh, from a from an actual just human perspective, there is a there's a massive crossover from uh, Manhattan to Charlotte, uh, Bank of America. I mean, all the all the major financial institutions uh, have a presence in Charlotte. Um, just one like Barings Bank just opened their headquartered building in Charlotte. Uh, Goldman Sachs is buying a ton of stuff in Charlotte. I mean, the, a lot of the big big boys are. are are buying up in Charlotte, just like they are in all the other, in the Raleigh's and the Nashville's and the Atlanta's of the world. A big Rust Belt population, uh, massive Ohio population in Charlotte. Um, you can't you know, spit without hitting a Buckeye flag somewhere, uh, including to a bunch of my buddies. Uh, so there, there's, a, there's a big influx from that Rust Belt. But Charlotte is a true melting pot because of the banking. I mean, we literally, and the cost of living, I mean, you move down from you know Long Island uh, in, a, in a from a row home or somewhere in Pennsylvania in a row home, and you can move to the suburbs of Charlotte for three hundred thousand dollars. You can get a big house and a good school district and low taxes, and, and so people are just drawn to it for that reason. Um, I would tell people that they need to live in the city because I'm a because I'm a urban I'm an urban animal, but uh, but Charlotte's huge for that. Yeah, cool. Um, so I know that you do, you do both tenant and landlord reps, is that correct? I do. And it, it changes. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty selective about the, the tenant rep that I do now just because it's, it's very intensive right. work. 
Um, not the landlord's not, but uh, the tenant rep is, um, you're, you're taking a lot on faith that people are going to actually open. And uh, a lot of the restaurants that I like to work with, they're not just looking at Charlotte. You know, they're looking at you know, the entire country. So you're not just competing against the guy across the street. You're competing against the entire country. Um, and that can be a challenge. Mm-hmm. So um, for those of you who don't know as much about Adam and I's business, um, when you go to represent a tenant, you are putting a lot of time into um, really providing them all the market knowledge. And it's a bit like investing. Um, you may not be putting your money into their concept, but you're putting a ton of time. So recently I really started to think about the questions that you should be asking um, before you work with someone, um, both asking them about their business and then also asking yourself about how much time you can um, afford to put into someone before it's kind of not worth your time. So do you have any advice to um, brokers that might be listening or people that want to get into brokerage about what those questions they should be asking are? Honestly, I think that just asking the questions when you're young in the business, let's be honest, you don't have a huge choice and you've got to do some deals and make a name for yourself or attach yourself to someone that has already done those deals. So you can kind of ride those coattails. Um, and you know, you can be very fortunate and get a couple of those deals done. Um, or you can, you know, buy a lottery ticket that that doesn't pan out. I, I was very lucky. I was given the opportunity, um, through a business partner of mine, Dave Sherhart, and also through uh, the CEO at the time, Bob Campbell of an Atlanta-based company called Taco Mac. Um, they kind of took a risk on me and uh, really let me kind of run with, with real estate um, and, and doing their real estate. So you really have to find that group that has the wherewithal. Um, you know, startups are, are a big challenge. So the... It, what I always ask people is, you know, what's your growth plan? What's your business plan? And how are you paying for it? And you have to get comfortable having uncomfortable conversations because basically challenging somebody to do they have the money to say what they or do what they say they're going to do, it's not a fun conversation. Um, but if they're a very small company, that's a huge concern. Um, as you go up the ladder, you start talking about private equity backing, bank backing, and things like that. Uh, but the major questions are you know, where you're getting your money. You know, and, and I always get nervous when somebody says they want to open 10 locations, you know, because that usually means zero locations, um, unless they have, you know, massive private equity backing or family office backing, something like that. Uh, it's just, it, it's usually a pipe dream. Um, but just my advice would be, don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. Yeah. And, that, and that comes on the landlord side too. I, I love landlord representation. Um, I have a, a niche where I represent a lot of institutional landlords and didn't start that way. Uh, the major questions that you want to ask a landlord is, you know, what are their goals for the space and do they have money to actually get what the market's getting? I mean, if you get a mom and pop landlord and they happen to have a building that's on a good location and, and they heard that somebody else got 40 or 50 bucks a foot and they think they can get 40 or 50 bucks a foot. But what nobody's talking about is the you know eighty to hundred dollars in uh, TI or, or tenant improvement allowance that the other landlord that was well well backed and well healed was able to give. 
Um, so ask hard questions. And if, if people get squirming, having hard conversations, that's a red flag. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think so much of our business is just setting expectations up front and communication is an art and a science. So, you know, it's, it's always trial and error and every person, every client is different. So always said that I think psychology is probably one of the best majors you could have getting into this business. Oh yeah, finance, psychology, uh, maybe economics would be the best. Yeah. Well, I am actually starting to run short on time um, and want to just say thank you to Elam for inviting me to her office and setting this up and being uh, pleasantly persistent with, you know, her business and um, know that she's going to do great things and really appreciate everybody listening and um, would love to hear some comments on uh, on iTunes, uh, what we could do better, you know, what topics you would want to hear, either if it's from retail restaurants or if it's more real estate specific, would love to understand that. And again, this is Adam Williams, Retail Redeveloped. Elam, any, any, any parting shots for, for the audience? Just thanks everyone for listening and um, would love to hear your comments and if you have any other suggestions for um, real estate, retail, people that we could collab with um, when it comes to podcasting and other markets, let us know. Thank you. Please reach out to share your experiences with us by emailing newinnashvillepodcast at gmail.com. You can also sign up for our mailing list and access our social media at www.newinnashvillepodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, please review and subscribe on iTunes and refer our podcast to a friend today. Thank you to Jared Anderson of Evergreen Productions for producing and engineering our podcast. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time. The music in this episode is provided by Carrie Ann Larson. She is a singer-songwriter who strives to write songs that people hear their own stories in. You can find her music, including her latest single, Fairweather Friend, on all digital platforms.